Hello folks, welcome to Switch It. So now we know why there won't be a Manchester test in 2027. England's Ashes comeback bid came to a watery end at rain-lashed Old Trafford as a near-perfect performance from Ben Stokes' men met with an imperfect script and Australia's 2-1 lead enabled them to retain the urn with a game to spare. It was all going so well for England after three days, at which point the local weather intervened with a vengeance. The grim forecasts were proved correct as Mother Cricket lost out to Mother Nature and Australia splashed off with the draw they needed. In the process, robbing us of one of the all-time great series deciders at the Oval later this week. Pulling on their waders to help dredge for the positives are ESPN Quick Info Deputy Editor Andrew McGlashan and Associate Editor Vish Hantaraja. Uh, good to see you both. How are you doing? Um, firstly, I suppose, um, where does Dried this... out. <laughs> Have you dried off? Um, Just about. Firstly, where does that rank among the most dispiriting interruptions for weather that you've had to sit through uh, in your uh, uh, august careers? What are you talking about? The boys came with one job. That was to retain the ashes. Job done. <laughs> they're going to go home heroes. I believe they're organising an open top bus parade through Melbourne as we speak. So, um, yeah, uh, another box ticked for Australia. World Test Champions, ashes retained. Um, just the oval to come now. But no, on a on a serious point, they were going to get an absolute shellacking, weren't they? So, um, yeah, it'll be fun when it's 2-2 and England could absolutely win the moral ashes uh, 3-2. They've already been leading, haven't they, throughout this series um, on, on those terms. But uh, no, on a, on a serious point, what a drab way to... To end, uh, as you said in the intro, it could have been the the, the mother of all finishes at the Oval um, this week. Thankfully, there is still a lot riding on it from Australia's point of view. Um, kind of joking apart, kind of it is a 2-2 or 3-1 is going to be a massive difference how this tour is remembered uh, from Australia. So at least from that point of view, um, and it, obviously Australia didn't celebrate particularly um, hard yesterday after, after after the retention, unlike 2019, although the circumstances were very different. But um, yeah, there's an awful lot for this Australian side to play for at the Oval, partly because of how poorly they played in Manchester. That was as bad as I think any of us have seen them play for a number of years. Um, and it's just a real shame for England they didn't get the chance to to make the most of it. Mivish, uh, we're all used to having to sit through interruptions for for the weather, uh, finding things to do while it rains. Uh, were, were you, uh, you know, was your enthusiasm for, for the meme game tested by uh, basically two days straight of it? It was, it was. And I, I suppose like Nasher has only um, really just come across it this series when he's been sat next to me, but it's basically my way of note-taking. It's been in education. Yeah, see, it's... Um, you know, like when uh, you don't know, like when English players say they go to the IPL for the conversations and to learn things. That's why Nash is here in uh, in England. <laughs> you know, it's just being just being around, rubbing shoulders with people who make memes is is an education for Nash. Um, right. Well, on with the cricket then, uh, such as it was. Australia were under the pump, at which point the pump had to be redeployed because of all the standing water around Old Trafford. But to recap. England won their fourth toss in a row and inserted Australia. Chris Wokes, five for keeping them to 317 all out. Zach Crawley's I'm him, 189 from 182 balls, then set the platform for England before Johnny Bairstow iced it with 99 not out and a lead of 275. Australia ended day 313 for four, um, which point it was all looking quite rosy for England, uh, Vish, and, and then the natural elements took over. I mean... 
this is, uh, I suppose, the headline, the first draw of the Basball era. Um, but it's it's probably not going to be remembered uh, for that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the most painful of all the non-wins, I suppose, because, um, you know, the first defeat in South Africa, they chalked, sorry, against South Africa at Laws, they chalked up as a bit of an anomaly, the, a natural kind of, you know, uh, recalibration of, of how they needed to approach it. And they did that immediately when they smashed South Africa in the next two tests to win that series. There was the Wellington one, which was a defeat that benefited everyone um, because of the thrill of the game and the fact that, you know, they were they were pretty satisfied to have contributed to that spectacle, especially when they, I suppose they could rest, um, well, they could certainly have the, the understanding and appreciation that they, much like they did at Edmiston, basically set up the whole game and it just so happened that um, New Zealand took it. Um, and then, yeah, I, I suppose the one, the one defeat that comes close to feeling as bad as they did after this draw would have been the Lords, Test really because going two 0 down and and the the manner in which they went two 0 down um, even with Stokes's fireworks at the end there um, but yeah it was um it was it, it was quite quite an interesting and, and quite a somber moment actually um, not not somber in any real terms I mean that in sporting terms but you know seeing the players out there kicking a the football around um, while providing me with quite a neat intro um, it was just this idea that like you can only have so much positivity and that. You know, sometimes things aren't going to work out for you when you have this, even if you have this positive mindset, even if, even if you think the sun always shines on you, and even if you know it's going to shine tomorrow, it might not necessarily shine today. Um, Is that and, written on one of Brendan's tea towels? Well, no, you saw the, the you know, Stuart Broad's column about how, um, you know, they were worried that one of their golf days was going to get rained out, and McCullum simply said, oh, we're too lucky to get That's rained right. on, or something like that. <laughs> yes, um, boss, we're too lucky to... Uh, not play, get any play or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and oh, yeah, and then he said that on uh, day three, what it was, yeah, oh, mm. no, sorry, day four, and then they ended up getting uh, thirty overs. Um, I think, I, th- I think the rain helps England's mindset because there is an element, uh, well, a strong element that they've been robbed of this decider in the weekend, and I think it's a good, you know, it's good and, and fairly accurate narrative to play on because if you look at how they approached the first three days it's probably the the most hollywood version of of what they talk about like it's it it was almost scripted that zach crawley would score the hundred that everyone would say he was going to score that chris wokes who came in thinking he was never going to play again is suddenly liberated by you know by a captain he thought he'd never play under and taking those five wickets and, and kind of reasserting something in his column against australia having had so many bad times against them in Australia specifically. And yeah, it was almost like they, okay, it went too far. It almost jumped the shark. And so, you know, Mother Nature had to intervene. But I think while they'll go in and, and want to go out with a bang at this, um, you know, this upcoming fifth test at the Oval, I think that probably in about a month's time, maybe even a month after that Oval test, they will be thinking about the mistakes they made, you know, in parts during the, um, during the Edgbaston test, and I don't really mean the declaration there. I thought that was fine, um, but the you know the missed chances, the wickets off no balls, the way they batted on that second evening at Lords, almost you know almost the moment that Nathan Lyon was down and, and essentially out for the series, um, they, they should have played that smarter. Um, and I, I just think you know it's this is nice for the whole, but when they disband and go and do their 
you know, separate things when they go and avoid the hundred or whatever it is, um, there will be, I suppose, reflections among individuals that we really let one slip, slip away there. And I think that's important because if you look at the age profile of this team, none of them are going to be together again. One of the things they always talk about World Cups is that, and one of the things we'll talk about for the 50 over World Cup coming up is this is the end of that white ball generation. Just, I mean, you know, we're going to talk about a couple of senior players in a bit, presumably, but like, this is the end of a very recognisable England team. And I don't think that should be, well, I think that should be, should be spoken about a bit more, really, because they have let one slip here. Yes, well, Ben Stokes, uh, I, I don't know if um, there's much Robbie Williams on the on the playlist, uh, um, England training and so on, but it's very much no regrets um, for him at the, uh, when, when talking. Um, One for the kids there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm sure. Um, well, if Matt was on here, we'd have to explain that as a Robbie Williams reference, but uh, he's not. Um, I mean, Ben Stokes, he sort of referred to, so I think he said, I'd love to be remembered as an Ashes winning captain, which almost made me think uh, he doesn't expect to have another crack at this. And it is two and a half years until England tour there. Um, I mean, you, you'd sort of imagine the way Stokes plays the way he's captained it uh, thus far. It's it could be one of those you know burns brightly but not for for very long things. Um, and like you said, yeah, like you say, this the, this team as a this group. It was the oldest um, bowling attack England had fielded or anyone had fielded. I think in Tests for about hundred years, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it, it it does feel like they won't be um, all lining up for another crack at getting back. Uh, the urn, which will have been an Australian hands for about a decade by the time they they play again. Yeah, so um, th- this is just a random thought I just had now, but um, there was when Eng- England were travelling to Lords for the start of an India game, and they were in a big car with um, basically driving to Regent's Park, and I think they'd had a bad day the day before. They knew they were coming in for basically a day of fielding, and. Like a song, one of their favourite songs came on the radio and they did laps of Regent's Park to just play the song over and over again, essentially. It was like on one of their iPhones. And I think everyone in that car is, you know, this was like 2014. So it was like, sorry, 2015, I think. So it was like Joe Root, Stuart Broad, James Anderson, Mark Wood. I think Stokes was there as well. And like, that has been the nucleus of the England side for so long, you know, discount Mark Wood, I suppose, in that to a point, but that has been the nucleus in the England side for so long. And it's going to completely change at the start of next summer. We, we, I suppose we can say that for a fact to a point. Um, and it's, and I don't know if they've really thought about that and maybe they don't need to think about it. Maybe that's, that, I mean, I suppose that goes against what McCullum, well, McCullum and Stokes' principles about like, living in the moment, calling Moina out of retirement to play in the series, just think about what you can do here and now and how best to do it. But I suppose if you're a fan, you'll be looking at it and thinking, God, yeah, like, um, you know, Jimmy's got one shot of winning an Ashes test for the first time since 2015, which is mad. <laughs> you're ruling him out of 25, 26 now. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> We're, well, we will, yeah, we will come on to some of those um, individual personnel questions. I think, obviously, there is one more test still in the series. There, there is, um, there, there is stuff that's up for grabs, um, Nasha. I mean, you described um, Australia retaining the Ashes this way. 
uh, as as somewhat hollow seeming. I think you took a bit of stick on that on uh, <laughs> social media. Um, but yeah, for Australia, that there is very much still um, work to be done and, and legacies to secure and all that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, from two 0 up, if they don't go home with a a series win here, then it will be a massive missed opportunity. I mean, a lot of the players um, were part of the twenty nineteen series, and they 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 don't they remember that as a very big missed opportunity um, to take that series, having lost uh, the oval. So yeah, there is there is a huge amount um, riding on their. Their, their performance this week um, at the Oval, um, perhaps arguably more so than there is on England in a way, because kind of like now that the Ashes can't be regained by them, probably they're no doubt going to go out with a win-at-all-cost mentality again at the Oval, um, and the way they play, it, it could go wrong. And I'm not sure, I mean, Vish might correct me on this, I'm not sure whether that would matter in the bigger narrative of their series, given what's gone on, but 2-2 or 3-1 is a massive difference for Australia so particularly how bad they were in Manchester this week there's obviously been some rather ludicrous stuff said around it as well as there always is in Ashes cricket I mean um, a couple of people have called for the head of Pat Cummins as captain after two bad days um, in the field and things like that but that's just all the that's all the theatre that goes with Ashes cricket um, shall we say but it was a bad week to have a very bad week because they'd come off for that narrow defeat at Headingley as we said in the lead up to Old Trafford it could have been 3-0 to either side going into that Old Trafford test, um, which showed how tight it was up to them. So we owe, we've probably only had two blowout days in this series, and they've both um, been Australia having bad days, which are those days two and three um, in Manchester. There are others where a team's done better, things like the first day at Lords, but Joe Root's couple of late wickets sort of saved that just about for England. So... No team had been outplayed like Australia had been in those two days. And, and that's, um, to use the phrase, un-Australian. That's an un-Australian way to be battered, basically, certainly in recent years. So the only thing I'll I'll say about Australia's performance, because it will get glossed over slightly because of all the rain yesterday um, and uh, and everything that's been talked about, is that that two hours, which Vish mentioned before, that 30 overs that they did get on the fourth day, to get through that was actually a very good effort from them. It was about the period of time that they collapsed at Headingley on that third night, which effectively decided that game. They were they were they came out to bat again under cloudy skies. Um and that could very easily have happened to them again on that fourth day, having had two such bad days in the field. But Monas Lavashane, excellent hundred. Uh, Mitchell Marsh, another really important innings in what's been a terrific comeback for him. So while they were absolutely still heading for a defeat, at least that two hours earned them the right to take it to that fifth day and have the washout, it doesn't diminish for a second the fact England were by far the better team. But at least they had that moment there where they repelled England for two hours. If they'd collapsed then, um, it would have been an all-time stinker from Australia. As it is, they've they they've got the rub of the green with the weather. Um, they'll claim that the two wins early on in the series, and rightfully so, earned them the right to be in that position. One of the themes of the last 24 hours has been if you don't want to be in this position, England don't lose the first two tests when the sun's out, basically, is is, is the bottom line. So, um, yeah, it was important for Australia to at least regain a modicum of respectability there in that two hours. Uh, but it's very important what they put on the park at the Oval this week. Yeah, I mean, uh, Vish, we, we always knew that the, the weekend um, could go down the gurgler like that. The, the forecast was, was bad from uh, a long way out. And Ben Stokes had almost said, well, we're going to have to tailor our game to that weather forecast um it, it it went to plan 
Um, and then they they got a little window on Saturday when actually the forecast was worse for Saturday and better for Sunday at one point. But um, there was a, a, a sense that they, um, you know, if they could get just get on the field for a, a couple of hours and then they got, I think they got 30 overs in uh, on that Saturday sort of afternoon and with, with the, you know, cloud around and the floodlights on and so on that they might just you know be able to to roll through a bit like they did at Headingley um and that didn't happen and and, and obviously um we'll, we'll talk a bit about Marnus Labuschagne I'm sure at some point uh he played very well Mitch Marsh too that was a you know as Nash said that sort of earned them the right to, to claim the draw um do you do you think there's any um uh, any mileage in discussing England's non-declaration. Obviously, they there was some talk that they they uh, might uh, you know pull out a, or a, a, you know try to engineer the situation to best give them a shot. In the end, they just let Johnny Besto wound him up and let him go. Um, so and, and therefore the innings played to its conclusion. It, it, is that a talking point, or and if not, why not? I mean, it's a talking point in that people are talking about it, but I don't think there's merit in it because they established a lead of two seven five. The job was to bat first. Like, with all due respect, they, they, you know, they're not going to get Australia out a second time under two seven five. So, you know, they, sorry, like for any for for so what would it have been? It would have been two ten, wouldn't it? Like, you know, um, basically, yeah, they could either. Yeah. I suppose they could have declared at, at lunch, couldn't they, on uh, day three, and they were one hundred eighty nine ahead with yeah, okay, um, yeah, Broad and, and Anderson to come. Um, uh, but but give, give the speed with which they scored after lunch when 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 uh, Bersto went tonto, um, that that only would have equated to about eight or nine, maybe ten overs extra. Yeah, yeah. So it was only eight overs that he and Anderson batted. So mm. you know, I, I think it's moot. I think you know, if you look at the practicality of that thirty over period, um, yes, you know, on paper that's a good chunk of time. But bear in mind when they get on the field. The outfield's still damp, so the ball that was reversing the night before pretty much loses it instantaneously. Um, you've also got a situation where 17 overs, six, sorry, 16 overs into that, they get that ball changed. Then an over, you get one over a bit with James Anderson, and then 17 overs, they're not allowed to bowl seam anymore. So the rest of those 30 overs are bowled by Joe Root and Moen Ali. Moen Ali bowled badly. Um, Joe Root bowled pretty well, got the wicket of... Um, of Marnus and then Moeen started bowling well. Um, so, you know, it, it was, it, it was great that we got them in, but it was, I think as soon as you saw the way the ball wasn't moving as it was the night before, you were like, okay, this is actually quite popcorn stuff. This is very up and down. And, and, and Marnus and Marnus and Marsh played it brilliantly. Actually. I, I think the way they were able to cut that, cut that deficit down to 61 by the next day, even then, if we'd got another 30 overs in, it changes the complexion slightly because, you know, Marsh would have certainly tried to score a bit freely. And it would have been similar conditions to the day before where damp outfield, ball wouldn't have been doing much off the straight. Um, so, yeah, kind of who knows? Obviously, we were, you know, we'd rather have seen something than nothing, especially given that, you know, even Ben Stokes was willing them to call it off half an hour before they actually did. Um, but, yeah, they, it was... I suppose the, the 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 frustrating thing from them, and maybe it's not frustrating, maybe it's heartening, but like they, I thought I thought they just played it perfectly, and they they really couldn't have done any more for that specifically for that fourth test, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the, just the the gods were against them. 
Um, Nasha, the uh, uh, I mean, we uh, we don't think we had the um, the team news before uh, we did the pod last week, and um, so we we didn't know that Australia were going to go in without a spinner. Um, they picked both all rounders. They basically lengthened the batting lineup. It it looked a bit defensive. It, it felt a bit defensive, um, and. And I suppose in the end, uh, uh, you know, they they got they came out of that game with a draw. Uh, that there was weather was always forecast to to play a role. Um, but they are it does feel like they're very much kind of on the back foot now. Um, and I think Pat Cummins himself said they've got work to do um, before this fifth test, which, as you say, is is kind of quite key to how this tour is going to be looked back on. Um, yeah, and the irony with them picking that extended batting order was that it was basically the batting on the first day that put them in the on the back foot. That was not a they were two ninety nine for eight after that first day. They only managed to get to three seventeen um, in total, and that was a really weighted effort. I think five of the top six made at least thirty two. Only Osman Kawaja didn't get into double figures. Um, so if they got if they got 400 on that as they should have done or even 450 that's a very very different scenario than for England having to manufacture the position they did brilliantly on the second day um suddenly facing 300 and it still had to go brilliantly well for England it did um everything had to come together in that 590 they put on at five and a half and over but um knowing they were facing 300 not 400 450 i think gave them that added degree of of freedom because Australia having that smallish total gave England a couple of ways to win that game if it could. So basically, if they'd batted aggressively and sort of got bowled out for 350 overs doing it, at least they'd have still moved the game on. Yes, it would have required them to have a run chase. And there is a, I know Vish defended very stoutly there, the declaration, perfectly logical, non-declaration, perfectly logical in everything he said. But there's a part of you that wonders if actually that would have been one of the matches where England getting rolled for 350 and 60 overs would have benefited them and it would have moved the game on even quicker. Now, obviously, the way they did it, as Vish said, they, they played it perfectly from start to finish and two days of rain, solid rain, it is very bad luck. But because because they kept Australia to what they had, and remember, they were Australia were 180 for three halfway through that first day when Marnus played around that one from Moeen um, and then they then they stumbled after that. So that was Australia's big missed opportunity to kind of almost kill the game off there and then if they batted a day in a session with the and then the way that played out I don't think England would have had the time to get as close as they did to winning that game but just going back to your original point about the selection as well um yeah the the omission of Todd Murphy was a a big talking point and as soon as Moeen turned that one off the straight really to get Marnus um, it, it became an even more um, of a talking point and there has been some talk from their camp that they were we don't really know how the game played out we only got three days of cricket but what what Vish touched on there about Moeen and, and Joe Root when that bad light period was was there on the fourth day there was enough there for those two when they did pitch it probably there's one from Moeen that bounced and hit Marsh's glove uh, Joe Root turned I think it was it might have been Mo again actually turned one through Chris uh, Cameron Green's gate as he did at Edgebaston when Joe um, when Johnny Bairstow then missed that stumbling. So there was definitely some help there for the spinners. So it's hard to say Australia got their team right unless you're absolutely saying they picked it to draw the game. And we'll never really know that because they're yeah. clearly not going to admit that. Uh, but there's enough to say that they had seen the forecast, they trusted it more than perhaps anyone would normally do in the UK, and, um, and, and they picked a team for it. And they've come away with it. 
I can't see how they can leave out um, Todd Murphy um, at the Oval now. So it's going to be intriguing to see who misses out this week. Yeah, Nasha, just on that um, thing about the the non-declaration and with Bester going nuts, they, I, I don't disagree with you actually about maybe getting skilled for 350 would have been the right thing because, you know, if Bairstow gets out and it's Anderson and Broad, then, you know, they might have let Broad have a, a bit of a hit, but they also might have just called them in. Um, so, yeah, like it, I think the fact that it went as deep as it went with Bester being not out on 99 gave them... The inclination to let's let him get his hundred because he'll get his hundred quickly. But I think if he'd gotten out quite early on, or certainly when he was marshalling the tail, they might have been like, right, everyone, everyone in, let's uh, let's have a go at these. And it's probably just worth adding there as well that again, it's all relative. This Australia was so bad on that second day that it was hard for them to be any worse on the third. But they did bowl quite well that morning session on the third day. And again, it seems bizarre to say because England still still scored one hundred and twenty-two. I think it was in. 24 overs, but Ben Stokes and Harry Brook couldn't, couldn't quite get the momentum that Crawley and Root had had in their partnership the day before. And say, for example, and again, it's extrapolate, it's kind of a pointless extrapolation to make because it didn't happen, but probably in a perfect world, England might have looked to, to nail 160, 70 runs in that session again and maybe bail out at lunchtime. But fair play to the Aussie quicks. They, they tightened up. Josh Hazelwood used the second new ball. First time the Aussies had taken it, had to take it in the series or actually chosen to take it. They could have taken it at Lords if they'd wanted. Um, that had a bit of an impact um, before Johnny went nuts. So um, again, Australia had set themselves such a low base on that second day that it was hard to be that bad again. But they did tighten the game up um, on that on that third day. And perhaps that just ate into enough time that it just changed the calculations for England. Yeah, and, and we've talked about how these teams have been pretty evenly matched. It's been a very closely contested series. That's why it's been so uh, watchable. Uh, and, and yeah, those uh, those uh, two days where England sort of threatened to run away, with it, run away with it were the first kind of examples of that. And it's perhaps fitting that Australia did battle uh, hard enough to to ensure that the rain could then bail them out. Um, a couple of the the individual performances, um, Vish, that we're obviously not going to remember this test for because it's uh, <laughs> it, 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 it was such a, a, a watery, um, damp squib come the end. But um, Zach Crawley, it, we talked about Zach Crawley last week. I think someone wrote a piece about how Zach Crawley was quietly having a good ashes. Um, <laughs> And then he goes and pings 189 of 182. Should we mention, uh, I mean, obviously the stage is yours now, but should we mention the 70% control percentage or or not? Uh, you can if you want. I feel like you just have, haven't you? So, um, <laughs> but that was that was kind of the, you know, the, the piece itself I felt was, you know, I think it was Miller's idea really because, um, you know, we were spitballing it on Slack and this, this came during the, during the Headingley test. And I tweeted about it, midway through the series that like you know it, it's very much uh, you know um <laughs> like I, I think England were, were going down the drain on the second test I think and I was like hey, he's doing all right maybe maybe not actually maybe not doing the second test because he he um flicked start down the leg side didn't he in that second innings but yeah he just looked a bit more accomplished you know from hitting the first ball for four you know, the series, I thought that would basically be his highlight in terms of you'll be remembered for that. You'll have a decent series, but you, that's what you'll be remembered for. You're the guy who kind of, you know, you, you got the champagne bottle and you smashed it on the good ship, Basball, and set it on its course. 
<laughs> but there was um yeah like when i wrote that piece i was like you know obviously got pelters on on twitter and i, I can understand why i feel like i covered everything but i can understand why people were are you know annoyed by the intimation that Crawley was doing well when he's still averaging 33 in this series and not very much overall um under McCullum and Stokes but you know even I was like okay this is going to go one of two ways he's either going to get a pair or he's going to get a, you know a great hundred and it was a better hundred than I thought it would it would be you know I didn't realize there was a third option that was higher than my upside um <laughs> and and that's what I suppose that's what you know sometimes in this job you end up in a situation where you tell or you know you write about what they view um, you know what they see in certain players and with Crawley it's the they've always talked about this high ceiling they always talk about this upside he's clearly someone you watch and you're like plays attractive shots he you know plays the pull shot better than anyone he plays the pull shot on the front foot as well and you know he's clearly a dominating batsman when he gets going that was always a qualifier when he gets going and often you put that across and people are like well what do you think and like the truth is like I don't know even now, I don't know. Even now, I assume because he's got that 100, he's not going to do well at the Oval, despite the fact that the Oval, Oval is perfectly tailored for his type of game, especially a test match pitch to the Oval. But, and, and I suppose that's the point. And, and I suppose, well, and maybe this is almost like the, a sad, the sad clown element of, of all this is that he's done it in a game that doesn't matter now, as you said. Like, it, one of the great lost hundreds. I thought, <laughs> you know, I thought... Um, you know, that would be Stokes at Lords. That would be, but probably Crawley, I think probably yeah. usurps that to a point. I know Stokes had a lot going in his favour, batting with his tail, um, fourth innings, whatever. But I mean, he Crawley almost single-handedly put hundreds in the columns of Hazelwood, Stark and Cummins, which is frankly absurd. Hmm. And you know that thing, oh, sorry, I'll just finish with this because I'm blabbering on, but you know that thing that at every point someone was like, oh, let's see them do it against India, and then they did it against India. Let's see them do it against South Africa and Nokia. They did that. Go to Pakistan and do it. They did that. And Australia was always the one on the horizon beyond, I suppose, India, the start of next year in India. But that was the one you're like, right, this is, you're going to get screwed over. And they've actually done to Australia something more barbaric than they've done to other teams, specifically cruelly. And yeah. For nothing. Yeah. Well, well, exactly. Yeah. Um, chalked it off. Chalk it off. Um, it doesn't count. But uh, but yeah, Crawley is now the leading run scorer in the series. Uh, we should mention that. Uh, I think the session of carnage, um, in particular, was 174 off of 24 overs or something. They were going at seven and over uh, on that um, second afternoon. Um, and Nasha, I mean, you wrote about this. Um, the, the Australia's kind of uh, baseball test. Um, I mean, it's been a theme. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you've you've uh, uh, felt like uh, you know this is this is kind of a topic that won't go away. But I mean, that really was a tough day at the office for Pat Cummins. Uh, I mean, arguably his his. His, well, this must have been his toughest test as captain. What must be one of his toughest games uh, of his career? Finished with 100, one for 129. Um, the, the I think there were a couple of drop catches in that session. Um, it, his captaincy, uh, the the terms and shores, I think, is rattled. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it 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 really it really all did. The wheels fell off and then some uh, for, for for Cummins and Australia at, at that point. 
yeah, they they did, and it was sort of like the point Vish made that it was like it was like the perfect Basball performance, and, and and that yeah, and Australia couldn't handle it because they're they're sort of their sort of um, mindset throughout this series has been, well, A, not to get drawn into playing England at their own game. And also, and they might not admit this one quite as openly, but almost, um, and, and and to say defensive mindset is unfair, but they weren't going to chase the game. And we saw that from, so Vish mentioned Zach Crawley's first ball of the series. There's a deep point out for that first ball of the series. And eight hours later, we had four sweepers, Nathan Lyon bowled to the one-day field, before lunch on the first day uh, of that first test. And with different versions of that throughout the first three tests, that's kind of been the way Australia have played. They were a little bit more aggressive at, at Headingley because that was a lower scoring game. There's a bit more in the pitch as well. So it kept their fast bowlers or the fast bowlers from both sides interested um, in that. But that was also where a couple of the cracks started to show in their... I guess in their mindset in a way, because the margins were so much narrow in that game. So there was that 10 overs after lunch on the second day when England got 95 runs and drew level. And then just the whole run chase, which England got in 50 overs after Stuart Broad had said, we're going to chase this like a one-day game. And that's exactly what they did. So I wouldn't say it's the performance Australia had coming because they hadn't they played well in the series. They, they, like I say, they could easily have won that Headingley Test match. England still needed, what was it, 70 when, when Wokes and, and Brooke came together. It was very much in the balance there. But um, mm. it really did. Um, it couldn't have gone any worse for them at Old Trafford. And as you said, yes, that the tactics um, of Pat Cummins came into focus, uh, partly because they seemed to go away from some of the things that had worked for them early in the series. And um, in terms of some of the plans to Crawley, um not so much the plans to Joe Root, Root just play beautifully in that eighty odd before he got that that scuttler, but but to Zach Crawley just little things like not giving Mitchell Marsh a go, who'd got Zach Crawley twice at Headingley. I know it's hard to look at Marsh's figures. I think he went to eight and over and say he should have bowled earlier, but it was just just those little moments there where it absolutely felt like Cummins was well he was he was chasing the game. It was slightly headless in that middle session. It looked as though there were four or five captains out there. Um, at various points as well. It often looks like there's two captains out there anyway with the way that um, Steve Smith often gets involved. Just on a tangent, I don't think that's a massive issue. I I know a lot of people make a big thing of the Cummins-Smith dynamic. I I don't think it really matters. But uh, but on that occasion, when everything was going wrong, there was a few sulky faces, a few forward brows. uh, And as you say, the wheels had definitely um, fallen off. One thing I'll say is I think that day, and all those two days, just emphasised how big a loss for them Nathan Lyon was at Lords. Um, I remember writing on that second day that could that be an injury that defines the series? Now, in the end, it hasn't been because Australia found a way to win at Lords without him. And I, that has become a very, very important passage. That, and Vish mentioned it earlier about one of the regrets England will have, being 180 for one there and not getting at least level with, it, with Australia's first innings. Because that loss of mm. Lyon has led to everything that's happened for Australia since sort of thing. So Murphy coming in and not really being given many overs at Headingley led to him being left out at Old Trafford and Australia playing what's perceived to be this negative side. There is no way in the world that Nathan Lyon would not have played at Old Trafford. Um, it was quite interesting, actually. He was on the radio this morning in Australia, one of the channels out there. He was asked about the selection. He said, look, I can't actually say much about it and sort of defended the long batting order and said, well, look, it's worked out okay in the end because we've drawn the test match. But there is no way in the world that Lyon 
wouldn't have played. And of course, 500 test wickets and Nathan Lyon is very different than five tests and whatever it is now for Todd Murphy, 20 wickets. And, and, and kind of Pat Cummins said this before the test. He said it's actually unfair to compare the two. But there was such a domino effect from Lyon's injury there. Um, and like I think I mentioned before, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do at the Oval because they're going to have to play Todd Murphy at the Oval. The forecast is OK for a bit of rain, but it's not looking like the Manchester forecast did. So we're going to get a proper length test match, I think, at the Oval. And you generally have to play a spin at the Oval these days. So that, if we needed any confirmation of how vital Nathan Lyon is, he is the whole thing that holds this Australian bowling attack together and the balance of it. You can talk about Cummins, talk about Hazel, we'll talk about Stark. Um, Nathan Lyon is the key to what Australia have done to become World Test champions. And even before that, I mean, obviously hadn't missed a test in 100 games before Lords. So um, he that that loss, and they've got away with it. They've retained the ashes. Um, but um, it's a reminder of how big he's going to be, how big a hole he's going to be for Australia to fill whenever he does leave. Although by then, Todd Murphy will have a bit more experience. But um, that was a massive moment in this series. And yeah, again, I think one England will regret not taking advantage of yeah, when I uh, when I heard of Australia's selection uh, for Old Trafford, I, I just thought of uh, our old friend on the pod, Mark Butcher, and his advice uh, when talking about leaving out a spinner, which was just don't do it. Um, <laughs> a couple of a couple of um, other talking points for England um, via sheet, and you can you can uh, choose your weapon here, really. But uh, I mean, Johnny Bairstow, uh in many ways, you know, uh, one of those great. Uh, Johnny Bairstow moments, ninety nine not out. You think couldn't quite get get to to a hundred. Um, James Anderson uh, given out uh, LBW and uh, leaving Johnny one short, and and then that sort of fueled, uh, I suppose his his um, well certainly day and and the test. He'd t- taken a very good catch actually in in on on the first day as well, um, and and he gave a very sort of emotional press conference at the end where he talked about you know he's got nine pins and a wire that goes through his ankle he'd been out for nine months hadn't kept wicket for three years um and then straight into an ashes um and i mean i suppose the the, the logical question then is what you know why were england picking him as their wicketkeeper uh in that case um i suspect he's gonna still be their wicketkeeper at the oval uh this week um and uh you know he uh he's justified his worth in other ways um but the other one, uh, James Anderson, who Michael Vaughan called uh, a sentimental pick uh, after Old Trafford said he felt it had cost England the game and might not be in England's best eleven. Um, yeah, Bairstow will be playing. Should, should should James Anderson be playing? And 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 should should this be you know the uh, the long walk into the sunset, the great goodbye, um, Jimmy's birthday present this week turns forty one. Um, uh, we're not obviously going to retire him, but I expect that thought may have crossed his mind at, at various points in the last few weeks. Yeah, I, I mean, I imagine it has. I still remember um, we got into the weeds um, when we were doing a round table with him a few years ago about basically trying to get into his mindset of when he would retire, which required a bit of projection from him. But he said... It'll be when he wakes up one morning and just doesn't want to go to training. Like that, that will be the moment. But then I suppose the one thing we'd never really considered was actually what happens when he has a dip and what happens when he's out of form. Because then, you know... Because they're the so time, rare, it's not happened. Yeah, but, but at the decade. time, 
<laughs> yeah, but but at the time, you you know, when it, when he said that, it'd be when he wakes up and decides he doesn't want to go to training. You kind of assumed it was just more out of like, oh, just I'm knackered. Um, and actually, you know, the poor performance brings it a bit closer because actually it's not just that emotion, is it? It's the emotion of, do I have the fight to prove myself once more? Do I have to fight to like evolve, to go again? Am I rallying against my body here? And I suppose that's when older athletes get to that point where they decide to call it a day because, you know, everyone retires five years before, um, you know, Jimmy, I was going to say is about to, we don't know that, but people retire in their mid thirties. When they get to a certain point at 41, it's because their mind is so strong that it basically just convinces the body that it's, you know, that the skills are still up to scratch, that it still has robust. And, you know, it was only six months ago, maybe a bit longer than that, but he was getting a tune out of some of the deadest pitches in Pakistan. Um, and I appreciate this kind of, this kind of dip creeps up on you. Um, and I suppose it's whether he can square it himself, whether it's a dip and it, whether he believes it's a dip or whether it is the end. And, and you imagine that he won't give any truck to the latter because he wouldn't be where he was if he ever entertained the idea that it might be the end or that he might be, his powers might be on the way in. Um, Ali Martin on uh, TMS on uh, Sunday, on day five, Ali Martin of The Guardian made a really interesting point when they were talking about Anderson in that, there's been a lot of talk about um, central contract revamps and things like this, and the need to essentially reallocate money to, you know, almost take players away from franchise cricket, or at the very least kind of try and reinvent them for certain pockets of the season um, or the, of the off season to ensure that they are available to play for England because of issues we had um, during the last winter. Um, and essentially that that central contract is an investment you're now making and never, you know, more so than ever before. It's an investment in the future in someone do you do that? Do you do you do you basically you know just roll over the contract Anderson's on now? Um, I don't know. So it almost becomes a bit of a financial decision, and for that reason, I suppose like the only person who could really have that conversation in earnest and also professionally with James Anderson is manager director Rob Key, because you know I suppose it's not it's it's gone so far along that it's not. McCullum's decision to make beyond not wanting him and, you know, not picking him. It's not Stokes's decision to make beyond not having him in the squad and not picking him. So, yeah, you're like, how do you tell someone who's done so much for English cricket that, man, I think, I think, I think this might be it. And I suppose you don't really. And it'd be interesting to see how, whether the short turnaround will give him time to, to consider that, whether it's something he announces at the end of the game, whether it's something he announces the day after, you know, when the game finishes, you know, you, you don't get to, you know, we had this with Cook, didn't we? That no one really gets to choose the way they go out. And the fact that he went out with 100 at the Oval off the back of, you know, a pretty lean run was, you know, that was the storybook finish. And that was very much at the end as it should be. Um, and well, that was uh, 2018, wasn't it? We could be, you know, five years on, we might be able to see one of his best mates, the, the guy who cried when Cook retired at the end of that test. Mm. He might... Um, you know, he might go out in the same, certainly in the same portion of the season when it's all done and dusted. And when it does, um, I don't think there'll be enough words written about just how much he's done for, for English cricket. It feels like with Anderson, it, 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 he would never be the kind of guy to, I mean, uh, Cook announced it ahead of the, the, that final test. Uh, I mean, you know, Shane Warne and, and Glenn McGrath went out in, in the middle of a whitewash um, I mean, great fanfare. It feels like something that James Anson will announce on tail enders, you know, the week after the season is finished. 
Yes, yeah, but on. Um, I, I don't think that's ridiculous. But also, I would say um, uh, it would. It could easily just be he's not on the next central contract list. James Anderson has decided to. It might be something that. And you know what? Why not? All the tests are done by July. You've got two months now. He'll probably, I think he's commentating on the hundred. Um, he might bowl at the back end for Lancashire. I don't, I don't really know that, but you know that that is an option there for him if he wants it. Um, and yeah, generally, generally might be the start of October when everyone's looking towards the World Cup. That suddenly the central contract list is out and and just his name's not on it. You know the bit in um, Goodwill Hunting where he says that I want. He, he says that you know you've got a golden ticket, you don't cash it, and he would be. It would never be more proud of him than when he knocks on his door in the morning that he doesn't answer because he's going off. He's left, you know, this trash city, this trash situation, and he's gone off to do better things. And maybe that's the way it is with Anderson, that suddenly the central contract list is there and, and his name is not on it for the first time in decades. A Hollywood ending of a different kind. Um, yeah. Nash, uh, a couple of, couple of uh, last bits for you to... to um uh wind up on i mean uh, Marnus uh got his first test 100 in england um his second away 100 he he, he in, in fact you know uh, played a pretty important role there in in helping australia retain the ashes with his uh, runs at old trafford steve smith um in the series is is not going quite that way um he's currently 248 runs at, at 31 um got out twice to mark wood uh, in Manchester and, and is is looking sort of less comfortable, uh, if that's possible to imagine, <laughs> in, in his batting skin. Um, talking about players, you know, uh, great players and 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 uh, and whether it's a dip or a decline or whatnot. Um, I mean, Australia will would have been expecting more from from both of them uh, for this series. Uh, one more chance to sort of restate those credentials um, at the Oval, uh, and you've kind of already. Touched on on the the bounce of the side, likely to to see Todd Murphy back, um, and and I guess uh, we're looking at the, the you know the David Warner question for the for the last time this summer. Um, any other any other selection issues for them? Is is Michael Nisa a, a, a chance to 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 bolt into contention? Uh, I think he's a chance. Yes, I, I'm. I, a lot will depend on um, a couple of niggles that are floating around the camp um, at the moment. Uh, Mitch Marsh spent some time off the field uh, with uh, general stiffness. Don't know whether that's been upgraded to major soreness um, in the last 24 hours or so, but they're going to check on him. And then Mitchell Stark went over on his shoulder um, as well. So a couple of walking wounded. So that might open up a couple of um, couple of changes there. But just to go back to the Marnus and, and Smith point, um, for Labuschagne, credit for his work ethic, really. I mean kind of um, the amount of time he's, he's he's netted and stuff. I mean, it's been a, a running joke with the coaches that they've needed the time off between tests as much as anyone because for all the, throwdown, <laughs> all the throwdowns they have to give Marnus in the nets. Um, it was quite amazing that, that him and Smith did actually manage to take that full week off um, after Headingley. They only netted for three days uh, before Old Trafford. Um, but yeah, I mean... Marnus was always going to figure it out at some point. And if you look at the trend of his series, it was heading the right direction, half century in the first innings, Old Trafford, then the century um, in the second. Um, Steve, Steve Smith is, I think, going to be a fascinating case study over the next however long. And it's not that you can't draw the direct parallels with, with Jimmy Anderson that Vish was talking about because there's seven years of difference between them. But 
Smith is not... I don't think Smith is going to be a cricketer who plays on and on. Um, and he's he's been very cryptic about it in the last couple of years. He's he's sort of... He's almost dead-batted retirement questions, but by dead-batting them, he's left the door open in, in a weird way to it being speculated on. Um, we know, for example, he has a lot of business interests, some of them in the United States, where Major League Cricket is now starting to take off and there's a window next year for him to play in that tournament. So he's not going to miss any Australian cricket for that. But I don't think he'll go on forever. And and he's still a wonderful player. But um, something that Matt actually wrote about during the game, he's, he's now a wonderful player back in sort of the territory of normal players as opposed to this freakish player um, he was four years ago. And I think to expect him to score seven runs again was was always expecting too much credit goes to having under bowled at him, um, particularly Mark Wood in the, in the last two test matches. But it's going to be really interesting to watch Steve Smith in the, in the next Australian summer. He'll probably fill his boots and I'll probably be bored watching him by the end of the West Indies series when he scored 300s in five tests or something like that. But um, you do just wonder what the trend of his career is going to be now over the next few years and how long he goes on for. So one of the major success stories for England has been keeping Smith quiet relatively 118. And just to, I guess, round up this on a, a similar theme of, of regrets, not that Ben Stokes has any, of course, but the regrets England might have is that they by and large dominated Steve Smith in this series and they haven't got the ashes back. For all the runs that Steve Smith scored against England in the last decade, that must be a little bit galling um, to have to have to have almost found an answer in a way to Steve Smith and not come away with the ultimate prize. So, um, yeah, I, I guess in that point that Vish was making earlier about maybe in a month's time when the players reflect on what's been, that might be one of the little kind of kicks in the stomach for England is that they've actually had the better of Smith this series. Yeah, and I, I suspect England fans uh, won't believe that he's um, contemplating not being out there for, uh, you know, hour upon hour uh, for the next Ashes series uh, until it eventually happens. Um, okay then. Well, the uh, the series has got one more test to run, but the party stand is beginning to empty. I think it's time we pulled the plug for this episode. The greatest series ever looks like being the one that got away, but let's hope we can recapture the mood at the Oval. We'll be back after to wrap the men's ashes, and then it's straight on to the hundred. Woo hoo! Until then. My thanks to Nasha and Vish and to you all tuning in to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com.